Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 5 Cahill had no memory of actually moving. He had no memory of anything at all, really, which was generally how he liked this memory to be. Otherwise, left alone with his sad and depressing thoughts, he ended up reflecting on choices made. Choices that most definitely had not resulted in untold wealth and riches coming his way with very little work required. The last thing Cahill did remember was curling up into the fetal position before the warm fire in the long room of the bar. An old custom of his, which only happened after a proper drinking session had taken place, or a hangover was being nursed. Sometimes the line between which of those inebriated states was currently being experienced blurred greatly. However, as customs went, Cahill always woke up in front of the fire again, either slightly worse for wear or in happier spirits, sometimes with slightly damp but drying trousers. Most of these awakenings happened because the ever-friendly locals would throw peanuts at him, a game that everyone could enjoy. Unless you were mortally allergic to peanuts, such as Cahill was, then waking up became more of a Darwinian survival trait than a simple shifting of brain patterns. Even after telling the locals about his allergy, it had changed nothing, except they now used dry roasted peanuts to give him a fighting chance. This time, however, Cahill had not been awakened by an impending anaphylactic shock, nor had he done a spot of sleepwalking. Cullens never did that. Instead, he had woken up sitting in a booth in the lounge, propped up against the wooden barrier that offered some privacy from the rest of the booths. Propped was probably the wrong word to use. Wedged would have been slightly more accurate. On the bench beside him sat a bald man that Cahill had never seen before in his life. Across from him was an attractive-looking woman, a little notepad opened on the table before her, as she twirled a pen around in her left hand. In the last remaining seat sat a ginger-haired man in a brown suit, with a look on his face that suggested nobody should come near him unless they were first invited to do so. Even then, it was probably safer to approach with care. Cahill, the ginger-haired man said. Who wants to know? The man looked over at the woman and nodded his head at her once. She stopped twirling the pen and stared back at him. No. Do it, the man said. No, it's rude and we don't have to do it that way, she said. He turned to look at the bald man. Well, you're up. Without warning, the bald man slapped Cahill on the back of the head hard. It caused a wave of pain to move through his brain, to the point that his eyeballs felt like they were rippling. Ouch, Cahill roared, pressing up closer to the wooden barrier and rubbing the back of his head. Oh, that was fun, the bald man said. This is how you usually do this stuff. Good cop versus useless detective with violent tendencies. That depends on the answers, the gingerhead man replied. Generally people don't need a second slap. So back to you, sunshine. You're Cahill Cullen. Yeah, all right, I am, he said. Do I owe you money or something? Well, why did the barman say your name was Ulysses, the woman asked. It's my middle name. Cahill Ulysses Cullen. Folk around here like to make fun of me over it. It's not a particularly funny name, the bald man said. Well, they're not particularly funny people. Who are you lot? I'm Shelley, Shelley began, cut off mid-sentence as a bar girl passed by and dropped a tray of empty glasses. 
The shattering cacophony reverberated around the room. Hurrah! The bald man and his ginger friend at the table cheered. Children, Shelley said, rolling her eyes. Are you okay, Alice? Cahal asked, leaning over the table to talk to the bar girl. I'm fine, Alice said. Just a bit mortified. She picked up the biggest bits of broken glass and put them on the tray, then continued on her way. The remaining shards Alice gathered into a pile by the skirting board, sweeping them across the floor with the side of her shoe. I'm Filthy Henry, the fairy detective. The guy beside you is Drew. He's a druid. Well, the modern day sort. We need to talk to you about something important. Cahill watched Alice leave the area, not really paying any attention to what was being said while he could see her. She glanced back at him, gave Cahill a sad little smile, then disappeared around the corner. Cahill frowned. Did you say fairy detective? I sure did, Filthy Henry replied, flashing a smile. Ireland's first and foremost fairy detective, if you will. Let's not go making a big deal about it. So what we need to talk to you about is something that might be a little sensitive. Cottle pursed his lips, blew a little air bubble, frowned some more and nodded to himself. I'm still drunk, he said. Drunken in front of the fire. That's the only reason this is happening. Are my pants wet? Can you tell if real world pants are wet by checking dream world ones? Filthy Henry nodded at Drew again. This time Cottle ducked and the druid's hand swept harmlessly over his head. Listen. Cahill said, pointing a finger at the fairy detective. You go and get me a pint. Maybe we can talk. Got it? I'm not in the right frame of mind for this sort of crap. Whatever this sort of crap is. Shelley looked over at Filthy Henry and shrugged. He might be easier to deal with if he is getting rewarded. You know, like giving treats to a dog for doing a trick correctly. I'm not a bloody dog, Cahill said indignantly. But I do like your logic. The fairy detective sighed and stood up from the table marching away in the same direction Alice had gone. Cottle looked at Drew and Shelley. So, uh, you two a thing? He asked Shelley. Not if he was the last fairy detective in Ireland, Shelley said. Uh, he sort of is the last fairy detective in Ireland, the druid said. In fact, he's the only one in Ireland. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know what I meant, Shelley cut him off. The morning's hangover had started to return with a vengeance causing Cottle's eyes to hurt from the daylight while his head throbbed. He closed his eyes tightly, covering them with his left hand. Filthy Henry returned and placed a glass down on the table in front of Cottle. He groped about blindly with his right hand, grabbed the glass once his fingers touched it, then lifted it and started to drink with the thirst of a man after a hard day's work. Not that Cottle had ever done a hard day's work, but he was forever thankful that thirst could be measured without any actual physical labour required. After a massive gulp had been taken, Cahill lowered his glass back to the table, slowly opened his eyes and stared at its contents. This is water, he said, slightly surprised. Yep, Filthy Henry said. You said a pint. You never said a what. Cahill glared at the fairy detective. Get me a pint is universally accepted the world over, as meaning a beer, or better yet, a pint of some wonderful spirit. Not a bloody pint of water. Who goes and orders a pint of water? Can't you see him in the throngs of a hangover here? Filthy Henry nodded. That I can. But see, here's the thing, Cahill. I need you. I need you like I've never needed another man in my entire life. Trust me when I say this. You, right now, are the only man for me. Which means until I'm done with you. You won't touch another drop of drink. It's dry out time. I need you focused. No legend ever saved the world with a skinful in him, and neither will you.
Cahill looked around the table at everyone, then stopped and stared at Filthy Henry. What the hell are you talking about? Whatever you're selling, I ain't buying. In fact, you can sing for it and no amount of slaps at the back of my head from Baldy here will change my mind. The fair detective smiled. It was a smile that Cahill had never seen before. Almost like it had a personality of its own. Then without warning, Filthy Henry lifted his hand and clicked his fingers. A spark of gold shot from the thumb. Cahill didn't even have time to blink before the world went dark. You're sure about this? Maeve asked the crone as she paced back and forth amongst the trees, her eyes adjusting to the dim of the night. I'm as sure as someone needs to be, Lauren replied. Besides, nobody is going to miss this pair. Maeve pulled her coat closer to keep the cold wind at bay, staring out at the empty landscape. I don't care about them being missed. I care about my two idiots coming back, at least in some useful manner. The crone smiled, showing her blackened teeth. At her feet was a bag. Her toolkit, as Lauren called it. Maeve had not dared to look inside. Whatever scuttled in the shadows of the witch's hovel could easily be in the bag out for a trip. Besides, this world she now found herself in was strange enough. There was no need to voluntarily search through a witch's bag on top of it all. They had left the hovel early that morning and gone into Carlingford, the closest town, to find suitable candidates, as Lauren had called them, for the resurrection of Maeve's men. These candidates had to be local men with limited intelligence and an easy mind to manipulate. All of this meant that Lauren could easily convince them to come to this remote spot in the fields and woodlands to purchase some mind-altering mushrooms at a very reasonable price. Not that the transaction actually mattered, of course. It was just the lure to get the men out here. It was a very good plan, Maeve had to admit. The town, however, was something the Queen had not been prepared for. Back in her time, the land was filled with ring forts, made from wood, and cranogues, man-made islands out in lakes. Wooden forts situated on hills and small settlements, of maybe a half dozen homes, built from wattle and daub with thatched roofs. Nothing at all like Carlingford. The town had large stone buildings everywhere she looked, the smallest of which apparently being a home for people to live in. Taverns were in even bigger buildings, with lights that burned inside little glass balls, yet had no flame. The streets were not merely dirt trails, but made from some sort of black stone that had been poured into the ground, allowing the amazing horseless chariots, called cars, to move about. There were no weapons to be seen. Men walked down the streets with women while their children followed behind, engrossed in some strange objects that they held that showed moving pictures. Everyone spoke using strange words, making sounds that Maeve did not understand at all. It was all so much to take in. Lauren explained much of the strangeness to the Queen, talking about things like technology and how man had progressed. Still, it appeared to her as if magic or technology or whatever had become so commonplace that even the most lowly man could use it to enrich their life. It made Maeve doubt if there was any point in proceeding with her plan at all. But of course there is, my queen, Lauren had said with a twinkle in her eye, after Maeve had voiced some doubts. Not everyone is happy with how the world is now. Only somebody with true might and power can bring about a change that will appease those who dislike their current situation. We need to complete the cattle raid so that you're in possession of both bulls. Then you will have more power than Dagda himself. Think of the things we could achieve together. 
they had found their candidate shortly thereafter and set up the meeting for later to allow Lauren time to prepare the spell. Which brought them to this current spot in the Kuli Peninsula, the battlefield where the simplest of plans had gone so horribly wrong. Thwarted by a solitary child and his magical stick, the resting place of so many warriors, the finest champions that Alai and Maeve had mustered. Lauren had started to mark out two large circles in the grass, roughly three feet wide and two feet apart from each other, with a red powder she poured out of a large black container. She reached into her bag and pulled out two handfuls of dried black mushrooms. Each handful was dumped into the centre of the circles. Once done, with a quick slapping of her hands to remove any remaining powder and mushroom, she dropped the container into the bag and picked it up, slinging it over her left shoulder. Right, she said to Maeve. Let's go. Don't we need to wait for them to show up? Oh, there's no need, the crone said. They think they're coming here to buy mushrooms from me. Once they get here, I'm hoping that they have enough brain cells to figure out that the mushrooms in the circles are for them. Then, with a little bit of magic, you'll have your two most trusted warriors back, in a manner of speaking. Come on, we can hide among the trees back here and watch without being seen. Maeve followed Lauren as the crone went further into the forest. The forest seemed slightly more pleasant this time around. It may have been down to the fact that she was wearing clothes and it wasn't raining. Or just the fact that the trees themselves seemed to be less gloomy and ominous now. Lauren sat down on a fallen tree stump and pulled out an apple from her bag. She bit into it. Sit down, she said to Maeve, her mouth full of apple. There's nothing to do now but wait. You've waited this long. Technically, what's a little bit more? Maeve walked over and sat beside the crone. What if, what if he survived as well, she said. Brought forward in time to thwart me once more. That can't have happened, Lauren said through a mouthful of apple. Nobody else knows how that spell works besides me. You're the only person who came to me for it to be cast. I thought you were meant to be some sort of hard-ass queen who took no crap. I am, Maeve said, slightly offended at the accusation. But no matter how hard you are, luck can work against you. The conversation was interrupted by the sound of an approaching car. It came from the opposite direction to where they both sat, but drove directly towards the two circles. When the car stopped near the circles, both the driver and passenger stepped out. From their hiding spot amongst the trees, Maeve was able to see everything. One of the men was wiry thin and gave the impression that if he jumped his clothes would slide right off. The other had an abundance of muscles to the point that his shirt was stretched across his chest. Neither man screamed champion warrior to Maeve, but the crone had assured her that they were the best options for the spell. As they closed the car doors, the muscular man looked about the empty field, shrugged once, then nodded towards the two piles of mind-altering mushrooms. His companion smiled and walked towards the nearest circle, while the large man strode to the other. Both men stepped into the circles at the same time. As they fully passed over the line, the crone clicked her fingers loudly. Each circle began to glow on the ground, a bright green light that both men, for whatever reason, seemed to ignore. They bent down and picked up the black mushrooms, sniffing them with great interest. Lauren rose from the tree stump and threw her half-eaten apple away into the forest undergrowth. She held up both her hands, faced a pair of men and started to twirl her fingers in the air. The crone chanted in the worst use of grammar Maeve had ever heard. From the tips of Lauren's gnarled fingers two tendrils of grey smoke formed. Both snaked their way through the trees, 
towards the men in the circles who were still examining the mushrooms. Once past the tree line, the left tendril drifted through the air and sought out the thin man, its misty associate moving towards the bigger one. The crone continued to chant over and over. With a flick of both wrists, the smoke trails detached from her fingers and surrounded the men in their circles. By now both of them had noticed that all was not as it seemed, the swirling smoke holding their attention. The thin one started to slap the smoke as it curled around his body. He caused the smoke to spread apart before it reformed again. The muscular one stood frozen to the spot and watched with wide-eyed terror as the smoke worked its way up towards his nose. At some unheard signal, both tendrils rapidly shot up each man's nostril until there was nothing left in the air. The men jerked on the spot for a moment before collapsing to the ground in an unconscious heap where they lay twitching. Let's go and see how they're doing, shall we? The crone said. Maeve walked a step behind Lauren as they went back to the circles. The crone clicked her fingers and the green circles faded from sight. She stepped up to each man and gave him a swift kick to the head. They both jolted and got to their feet, a red glow coming from each of their eyes. As they stood up, the glow faded but didn't vanish completely. The crone spoke to both men in the same language that was used in Carlingford. Each one replied, speaking in a way Maeve did not understand. The queen stared at both men as they spoke. What did they just say? she asked the crone. They're speaking like those people in town. I just heard their names. Lauren looked at the queen. Oh, right. I'm going to need to tweak something in your head so that you can understand them. Should have done that sooner, I guess. Just enjoy talking in the old language. Reaching up with her gnarled hands, the crone lightly touched Maeve on the temples. Lower galore fuckle, the crone said. Maeve felt a light tingle where the crone's fingers touched her skin. The sensation travelled inwards from her temples to her brain. There was a brief moment when it felt like both tingles had connected. Then the sensation stopped. She looked at the crone. What did you just do? she said, surprised at the sound of her own voice. Names, the crone said to the men. Droog, loyal warrior to Queen Maeve, the large one said. Noel, loyal warrior to Queen Maeve and smarter than Trug, the other said with a sly grin in his face. Although what the hell is up with this headache? It's like my mind's been battered with all kinds of new information. Hang on, I'm speaking another language. You are, Maeve said, and so am I. What's going on? My queen, you're speaking English, Noel said, rubbing the side of his head. I'm guessing we've got to do some catching up. I've just had a blast of new information rush through my mind. I know a lot of stuff that I didn't know before. That will be your host's memories merging with your own, the crone explained. You'll have access to every bit of knowledge he had. Just don't hold your breath expecting it to be useful. I'm amazed the guy was able to spell his own name correctly. It really was amazing what the fairy creature was able to do with magic. True, she had made a slight miscalculation when bringing Maeve forward in time, but that was something that they could turn to their advantage. Bringing back the spirits of the Queen's most trusted warriors, however, as well as giving Maeve the gift of another language, showed just how useful the crone was to have around. If nothing else, it was certainly a good indication that this raid should go smoother than the last attempt. The Queen stepped up to her returned warriors, inhabiting bodies not their own, and smiled. Welcome back, boys. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend 
is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it.